The moment I walked onto the stage and like looked out at the crowd and like the founder of WeWork is on the stage and the mayor of Austin, I just like, all my senses shut down and I just didn't process. And for some reason I thought I wasn't a finalist. So I just like walked off stage and I was like, okay, I'm just gonna relax now. And then 20 minutes later, this like frantic like stage hand comes up to me. And they're like, hey, you're on next. You have to go back on stage. You're about to pitch. Then my everything shut down. I don't know how I got onto that stage and delivered a pitch, but it somehow happened. It was a pretty crazy moment. <laughs> so props to WeWork for getting, you know, our natural reactions, I suppose. There's nothing like scripted or planned about that, but it was, it was crazy. <laughs> Welcome to the Stylist Free Podcast. Today we have Jen Ding with us, founder of Park It, and uh, about to graduate from Cornell Tech. Hey, how's it going? Good, how are you doing? Good. Awesome. So what is Park It? Park It is actually short for Parking Vision Information Technologies. Actually, Park It came first and we came up with the longer name after, but I think it kind of encompasses what we try to do, which is to use any IP camera to do real-time sensing. And the data that we collect is real-time parking data. So we have these computer vision and machine learning algorithms that connect with any IP camera that's looking at a parking lot and we give the camera the intelligence to tell you know, where are their cars, where are their open spaces. And this, this data is useful for drivers so you know, we can help them park quickly instead of circling around the block. But we also see this data helping parking operators so they can manage their spaces better and also ultimately for cities so they can understand how traffic and movement is occurring on their streets. Cool. So what's an IP camera versus a regular camera? (laughs) Yeah, so an IP camera is internet connected, meaning that if you have the URL associated with the camera, it's a public IP, you can connect to it through a server or any web portal. So um, this is great for us because we actually do all of our computer vision and machine learning in the cloud. So our servers can connect to any camera around the world as long as we have this public IP. Great. Are a lot of the cameras for parking and stuff like that already IP-connected cameras? Yeah, we see that IP cameras, the price and the availability, all these factors have made them more widely available. And so, yeah, a lot of our customers do have IP cameras, whether on their university campuses or on their buildings to look at city streets. So even though there are a lot that are more CCTV or non-IP, we see that the direction things seem to be moving is IP. So it's definitely growing that IPs are more common yeah. than they've ever been. Yeah, yeah, for cool. sure. So how did you come up with the idea for Park It and how'd, how'd that kind of get started? Uh, yeah, it's an interesting story. So Park It started at my undergrad, Rice University. It was a three-day startup competition, and there, I just remember there's this guy from L.A. where parking is a big problem, and he just made this very compelling pitch about, you know, like, this is a pain we've all experienced, and who knows how many hours of life we spend circling for parking. And fun fact, in New York, the average driver spends over 100 hours a year searching for parking, which is an unreal amount of time, (laughs) two work weeks. So inspired by that, you know, inefficiency in this age where so much is automated, becoming more efficient, we thought it was crazy that like this very prevalent part of our lives wasn't uh, seeing any technological development. So I actually worked on Parkit as my senior design project in electrical engineering, and we developed like the basic computer vision techniques and then started talking with parking operators all around Houston to just figure out how they would use the data and if it would be useful to them at all. So how do you actually start getting customers and onboarding and stuff like that? Yeah, we went the old-fashioned technique. So we actually went 
door to door or lot to lot, I suppose, in the Houston summer, mind you. So this is like over a hundred degree heat. We're like walking around in parking lots, searching for the office and then sitting down and talking with these parking operators about their biggest pain. First of all, not a lot of people came to talk to them about their problems. So <laughs> they were welcoming to us. It turns out a lot of them were, were actually manually counting their spaces every day. So I think oh. once we started on that discussion and how much that was a pain, right? Like circling around and counting spaces a few times a day, um, we were able to like tap into a real frustration they had and start the conversation about how this new thing, computer vision, might be able to automate some of that for them. That's great. Yeah, you actually went out and figured out what the problems were instead of just assuming the, how to solve them. Cool. Initially, I thought this was more for like the user, you're driving around finding parking, but you're also talking about the operator. Like what percentage, I guess like what are the different products that Parkit allows either the operators or the user to do? For sure. So like most people, I think when we think about parking, it's from the aspect in which we experience it, which is as a driver. But as we started having these conversations, we realized that this data was valuable for so many different people, especially the parking operator. And so I guess business strategy-wise, we realized that it really made sense to build something for them. And once we had the infrastructure covering their lots and providing them something valuable, we could then take that same data and provide it to drivers. So that was one big pivot that we made early on. Another one was our decision to focus on outdoor parking, which we saw an opportunity not only because there's less, less technology there, right? It's much more difficult to install and maintain hardware outdoors, but also it was actually a huge computer vision benefit, right? So in indoor garages, you put a camera up on the ceiling and maybe cover like one or two spaces, but outdoors, if you have an elevated view, ideally a drone, that was always our dream, but it hasn't come to fruition yet. We've been able to cover over a hundred spaces at a time. So it kind of, pivoted our problem from a harder one to a softer one where we asked ourselves like could we use software to solve this problem and still get you know high accuracy adapt to like the outdoor conditions of changing weather and lighting but I think the cool thing is like at the end of the day we're able to like align the incentives of drivers cities parking operators by you know providing the same data collecting and providing the same data but allowing them to use it in whatever way is best for them. It's awesome. Yeah, make it consumable to different people who are interested and make it useful for different purposes. It's awesome. So is there an app or how do people actually find parking spaces, I guess, in New York or L.A. where it's very crowded and the place has a park it camera? The way that we provide our data today is we have a dashboard for the parking operator and also an API. So currently we don't have an app. There's a lot of parking apps out there. We decided early on that we weren't really interested in building another one. So we really just doubled down and focused on providing the best kind of data, or sorry, the most accurate data. What that means is today we have this API where it feeds directly to the operator, the operator can use it, and usually what they decide is how they want to share that with their drivers. So for some places, feeding data to signage makes sense. You know, operators don't want people looking at their phones, but it can also very easily feed to an app or a website, or a lot of universities have some sort of parking page where students go for information. Design principle there, we have this data, and you can choose based on the solutions that make sense for your parking lot or city, how best to get that to drivers. That makes a lot of sense. So everyone's different. They have different needs that they're trying to get out of that data. So you just give them an API that they can work with and make their own app if they wanted to or display it however is useful for them. Exactly. That's cool. So how how big is Parkit? Like how many lots you guys 
have cameras in and stuff like that and maybe the story of how you guys scaled yeah so since 2016 we've covered over a thousand spaces across north america we started in houston so we had a lot of great sunny texas parking lots and footage for a while and then we actually went to the jaguar land rover tech incubator in early 2016 got some great pacific northwest like rainy footage and also some of our first pilots were in canada so some snowy lots as well so we've really covered a lot of really different kinds of parking lots from truck stops cities hospitals universities and that's been really interesting on the machine learning side. But right now we're actually focused on universities. We have a few deployments with some large universities where they're looking to, you know, cover their outdoor lots so that, you know, whether it's for game days, visitors or students, they're able to help students or any driver on campus make better parking decisions. So you're telling me before the podcast started about WeWork and some really interesting ways you guys raise money through them. You talk about that? For sure. I guess an interesting thing about our growth is we were bootstrapped for a long time, especially when we were students, but we've actually never raised institutional capital. We've done pitch competitions, and I guess the accelerator, we did receive some more structured equity funding that way. But one of our, I think, more interesting sources of funding actually came from WeWork. Last year, WeWork started this thing called the Creator Awards, and they're looking to support and fund creators across the world. You know, it's a little bit different than your usual pitch competition or or startup award where it's really focused on high growth, unicorn, tech, all the hashtags. So WeWork defines a creator as anyone that's creating something for their community. So it could be a nonprofit, it could be an artist, it could be a tech startup. They're hosting these like regional competitions where all the creators come together and pitch and they have different categories depending on the size of your company. And then ultimately there's like a a national competition. But what's kind of cool is they're targeting these communities that are non-traditional tech communities. So they're growing, but maybe not to the level of Silicon Valley or even New York yet. But these would be like Austin, D.C., Mexico City, Tel Aviv. At each event, they're investing over a million dollars in these companies. Grant, no equity taken. Literally just like pouring seed funding into the community. And what I loved about this event was it just had a really different vibe than other pitch competitions I've been to. It was really cool to see people come on stage, some of them for the first time ever, right? In front of hundreds, thousands of people. And pitch their life's work, really. There was this one guy, he'd had three different forms of cancer and he created a platform to connect cancer patients with cancer survivors of that type of cancer. Another group, they employ ex-cons to sell coffee instead of drugs. And this was one of the founder's exact stories. He'd lived through being a drug dealer and transitioning to selling coffee instead. And they'd created a program to help facilitate this process as they said you know the skills are pretty transferable it's just a different a different product it was just really inspiring for me right that sounds really cliche but so often when we have these conversations about people's work their mission it comes down to conversations about market size or maybe even technology what's cool what's hot but getting to hear people tell their own story and reflect on these very real life things that drove them to create. It wasn't just what they created, but why they created. That was incredibly inspiring for me and definitely made me kind of rethink my own philosophy for what I want to do with my work and what it means to me to be an entrepreneur. I love technology as an engineer. It's always exciting to look into what's happening in machine learning and even 
you know, just consider like the theoretical underpinnings of, of what makes something like deep learning work, right? Like I love that. But I think as I've gone through Park It throughout these years and, and had a chance to meet more founders, I think the thing that really inspires me is like the ultimate story behind why you create what you create. Definitely, yeah. <clears throat> Sound like the passion behind why people do something and then that they're impact driven and want to make the world a better place as part of it kind of ties really well together, right? That people are very dedicated and make the world better and makes it better. <laughs> For sure. And I think it's, it's almost a completely different conversation. Sometimes we talk about how when we pitch, there's nerves or like, you know, in front of investors, like you forget, you know, the thing you prepared. But I, I think what I find is like when you're doing something that matters to you so much that as they say, to be an entrepreneur, you really have to like be able to jump off that cliff and build the parachute on your way down. I think when it's something that you believe in so much, you want to live it, like a lot of these things don't even occur anymore. You're just, it becomes natural. Yeah. It just is. Right? That is that's what you're doing. And yeah. There's no other way. Mm -hmm. They gave you money, a grant from WeWork Creator? Yeah, we got lucky. We were in the launch category and we got a 72k grant awesome. it was one of the most nerve-wracking moments of my life so mm -hmm. this was on the austin city Limits stage which for any texan or anyone that you know likes country blues music it was it was unreal and what's kind of funny is we had like a, a short pitch earlier that day to the judges but the final pitch where we'd find out if we were finalists and going to deliver that one minute elevator pitch on stage was all live <laughs> it actually is an interesting story. So they like ushered all the finalists on stage and they were going to tell us who was going to get to pitch. But the moment I walked onto the stage and like looked out at the crowd and like the founder of WeWork is on the stage and the mayor of Austin, I just like all my senses shut down and I just didn't process. And for some reason I thought I wasn't a finalist. So I just like walked off stage and I was like, okay, I'm just going to relax now. And then 20 minutes later, this like frantic like stagehand comes up to me and they're like, hey, you're on next. You have to go back on stage. You're about to pitch. Then my everything shut down. I don't know how I got onto that stage and delivered a pitch, but it somehow happened. It was a pretty crazy moment. <laughs> so props to WeWork for getting, you know, our natural reactions, I suppose. There's nothing like <laughs> scripted or planned about that, but it was... It was crazy. That's so funny. So you didn't hear your name announced or something? And then... Yeah, I so I, honestly, like, I stopped hearing. Like, all my senses shut down. And it was probably the most, like, the least planned pitch I've ever delivered. But luckily, it worked out. Right. Yeah, you kind of got to relax a little bit before, so maybe it helped, but you also were very surprised. Yeah. It was probably like delivering, like, a pitch while having a heart attack at the yeah. same time. So, Yeah. So do you still, are you still in contact with WeWork? Do they give you like mentorship and stuff like that and workspace, I'd imagine? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a cool thing that they're creating. I think they're really focused on the community aspect of it, right? So not just supporting these individual entrepreneurs, but helping them grow their startup communities around them. So yeah, I've definitely stayed in touch with the team and looking forward to seeing the creators this year. And attending the pitches as well. That's awesome. Yeah. Go back to Austin City Limits every year. To oh yeah, watch and the pitches. there's one. Yeah. There's, there's one in New York too. And oh, yeah, it's it's awesome. Cool. So, how big is your team right now for Park It? We are a team of three. My co-founder Luis is is the CTO, and we have another computer vision engineer in, at Rice still. So we're just like a small engineering team. That's always really been our focus. You're in Canada, you're in America, are you in other parts of the world too? 
not right now, we're just focused on North America. But given the technology, it's totally possible. We usually don't even go on site. We just do some Google Maps surveys of the lots and then just get the IPs and get things set up. And I think that's, yeah, definitely kind of a cool aspect of computer vision. There's so much that can be done remotely. And that's really the benefit. You have a visual of the lot no matter where you are. So our customers can also access the data and their cameras wherever they are, even if they're not at the university. Right. That's awesome. So you started with the UT system mostly and been going to all the different schools there for... Um, actually, not a lot of... In uh, Texas, we had a pilot at Rice and one at Texas A&M, but most of the universities actually <laughs> not in Texas. So, okay. awesome. yeah. <laughs> cool. Talk a lot about computer vision. Like, what do you see like the future of computer vision? What What are some cool applications that you see coming on the scene that you're excited about? The aspect of what CV provides that I find really fascinating is is this idea of like real time sensing and maybe just sensory augmentation for humans in general. Like in the most fundamental way, it's interesting to think that what computers see, depending on the future we choose or the point of view is different than how we perceive a scene. If I tell my algorithm to look at the gradients in an image or the, the edges, the corners, all this information from an image can be interpreted in, in ways that if I, as a human, just look at an image, can't as directly. So I like the idea that like our cameras or our computers can can perceive fundamentally different things than we can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and on the sensory augmentation side, um, I think it's just interesting to think that, I mean, as humans, we've evolved five very specific senses and, you know, they're fine-tuned, they're granular, um, they're effective, but they're still limited, right? So our visible, the visible spectrum is is what it is, and we know that there's much more beyond that. And so if computers can help augment what we can see and hear and smell and, and every other sense, I think that's really fascinating. As a technologist, I feel like we're always struck by how much we don't know and how vast that space really is. A really interesting project that came out of Rice too is this company called Neosensory. The founder is this neuroscientist, David Eagleman, and a few of my classmates at Rice are actually working on this startup right now. They've developed a vest, I think a wristband and some just other hardware that vibrates. They take in sound signals and then based on that, they vibrate in certain patterns. And the original goal I think was to help hearing impaired or deaf individuals understand communication more seamlessly. So instead of having to use sign language Um, especially with people who don't know it, they can just take in the voice signals and over time learn certain vibrations to be certain words. So just a more seamless way to understand information. But they definitely looked into other applications for this too, where it was like, you know, these vibrational patterns can really correspond to anything. I just like this idea that like we can use technology to perceive our world in expanded and deeper ways. And I think that's, you know, one thing computer vision offers, but there's so many interesting ways that we could augment other parts and aspects of our senses. That's cool. Yeah. I don't know if it's the same team, but I've seen that originally for hearing impaired people, that idea of the brain has a lot of plasticity and they're not using it for the hearing part so they can inter- use it to interpret the vibrations and it just like naturally becomes able to understand language or anything else. Like you're saying, it doesn't have to be language. It could be the data from the parking sensors, right? It could be if you're managing like traffic accidents, you can tell stuff's going wrong in certain places. Like there's a lot of interesting ways that you can translate data into a new, like using it for touch to understand information, which 
we don't really do in that sense as we do with like reading or hearing. Absolutely. It's like a more direct connection to the world around us. Yeah. Even the world that isn't around us somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's cool. There's things, I think like a second thumb, there's a, you got more <laughs> appendages on and stuff. You can, yeah, there's a whole realm. I like the term, I haven't seen anyone else use it, so I've been coining it, hybrid humans. Because <laughs> we're kind of slowly, like, even just with our phones, just we always need it charged. We need music coming out of it. We need access to the internet. Then, yeah, stuff like with glasses. We have computers. I think that yeah, glasses will come more into play for augmented reality, virtual reality, mm-hmm. and brain-computer interfaces, I think, are going to be very interesting, kind of like meld everything together. So you have like an internet of things a house that you use your brain thoughts in order to turn lights on and mm-hmm. then you mix up the augmented world as well yeah i think there's a lot of cool stuff that's come in the next like decade or two i agree like there's a lot of conversations we've had about like machines in a human world or even humans in a machine world like in fully auto- automated factories or something like that right but this com- this idea of like humans with machines not just humans working with machines but yeah, a more direct connection, whether it's integrated with a human body or, I mean, at this point, you're right, our phones are pretty much integrated with us, even if not physically, but there is some sort of mental or emotional bond that we can't seem to easily break anymore. Yeah, it's like sports players, like how the mind works and maps, like their objects, like a bat or a soccer ball, that's part of them. Like the mind sees it as like another appendage that you work with. So it's like phones are kind of like that for a good number of people. Yeah. <laughs> Especially like in America and like well-developed countries. Yeah, definitely looking forward to seeing how we shape that in a positive way. <laughs> or maybe have better techniques so that close bond doesn't lead to like detraction of our quality of life. Yeah, definitely. I'm hoping yeah, augmented reality once they get the technology hardware there that kind of integrates but more immersive instead of me looking at my phone that's taking away from everything else it kind of I'm sure there will still be distractions and stuff and won't be a hundred percent like that but mm-hmm. you give a lot more opportunities to kind of connect with the world while using technology mm-hmm. while like letting it work kind of in the background like analyzing voice let's say or something to kind of give you the information that you need mm-hmm. yeah. and maybe through a vibration or something yeah <laughs> somehow yeah. yeah a lot of cool ways yeah. Cool. yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, Jen. It was great <laughs> yeah. talking to you about Parkit and all the cool technology going on on the computer vision. And yeah, good luck with graduation this weekend and stuff. And yeah, I know you're going to be at IDEO for the summer and mm-hmm. like, like finishing up some job stuff after that. So awesome. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you. I want to give a shout out to all the entrepreneurs out there pursuing their passions, taking risks, and building their parachutes on the way down. Y'all are rock stars and give me the inspiration to go after my dreams and ventures. Keep it up, start it up, scale it up, get those network effects, and as always, have fun. Thank you for listening to the Style is Free podcast. Until next time, friends, I'm your host, Brett Leibowitz.